Welcome back to Money Talks. I'm your host, Nick Antonucci, joined today by Jacob Keen and Jesse Thomas. And uh, it's come time in the show where we answer listener questions. If you have questions of your own you'd like to send in to us, have answered on the air, uh, you can call our question hotline at 1-855-429-9166. You'll leave a voicemail and we'll answer your question on our next show. Um, or you can email them in at drgene at hensler.com. That's H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. And if you have questions of your own that you want you know, help on a personal level, feel free to reach out to us at 770-429-9166. And uh, we'd be lucky to or happy to uh, direct you in the right direction and lucky to have your business. All right, guys, listener questions. One of my favorite parts. First one comes from... Lee from Alpharetta, do we still have any tax credits for education? You lost me a tax, Jesse. This one's yours. Yeah, I'll take that one. So there are still some tax credits for education. Um, most of them are income dependent, but you know, if you're talking about college level education, there's still the American Opportunities Credit and the Lifetime Learning Credit, um, which you know can be helpful. Um, one thing to note on those is if you have a dependent who's filing their own tax return, but you are still claiming them as a dependent. That has to be taken on your return. Um, if you're a student and you're claiming yourself, it needs to be on the student's return. Um, in terms of student loan interest, you can deduct up to $2,500 depending on your adjusted gross income level. Um, I believe it's 70000 or less for single filers and 144 married filing joint. Um, but in my opinion, kind of the best place to look for a tax opportunity in education is 529 plans for the state of Georgia. Um, so you contribute and then the money can be used for certain things. Um, computers for school, college tuition, private school tuition as of the end of 2017. So yes, there are still opportunities for that. Um, most of it depends on your income level level though. Is that the kind of the, uh, the best way to solve towards college do you think, or towards save towards education? I have friends, you know, that now mm-hmm. have young families and are, they'll, you know, hit me with questions. Oh, how should I be saving for educational expenses? That sort of thing. And being on the research side, the financial planning aspects aren't, you know, my bread and butter. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think the 529 plan is definitely the best way to go with that. Um, you know, you put the money in, invest it, let it grow. And then as long as you're using that for education, you're not picking it up on your income tax return. Um, the other benefit is that you are the owner, not who's using it. So if you do one for your niece and she goes to college and there's still money left in over, you can redesignate it for another beneficiary. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Great to know. Thank you, Jesse. Um, next question is Hillary from Atlanta. Can I still tap into the equity of my home? Um, Assuming that you have a sufficient equity in your home to tap into, uh, you should be able to. You got a couple of options there. You can, you know, do a HELOC or home equity line of credit, or you can do a home equity loan. The difference there is kind of home equity loan is you're taking a lump sum out at one time, whereas a home equity line of credit, think of it almost like a revolving uh, credit line, like a credit card um, against your home. So to differentiate between the two, your home equity loan. Um, has a fixed rate of interest and you take a lump sum, as I said, as opposed to a line of credit where you have it's typically an adjustable interest rate, which right now, if we forecast rates going lower, that should work in your advantage. Um, and uh, some some lenders will actually allow you to convert to a fixed rate. And the benefit is you can draw money as you need it. It's mm-hmm. not, oh, I'm taking 40 grand out, whether I use 40 grand or not. Uh, as something comes up, maybe it's 10,000, I'll use it. And then another three comes up, I'll, you know, Swipe that card that's typically linked to it. 
Um, you pay interest only amount that you draw, only on the amount that you draw on the home equity line of credit. So saving you money there. Um, interest only payments are an option as well, which is typically not the case with a home equity loan. And I guess one thing from the tax side to mention is you used to be able to deduct all home equity line of credit interest. If you were itemizing, you can no longer do that if it is not being put back into your home. So if you're using it for vacation or something, don't take it. That's a good rule of thumb anyway. Mm -hmm. Typically, we advise if you're not – don't take money out of your home unless it's for a project that will improve the value of your home that you think you can get back when it comes time to sell. It's it's not you know a credit Mm -hmm. card just to swipe on whatever you want to buy. Reminds me of when we talk to people about student loans. I know. You know, use it for what it's intended for, not for whatever else you had in mind. Um, Jerry from Decatur writes in, I'm trying to cut back on my consumer discretionary, especially restaurants. If we're in for a slowdown, I don't think eating out is going to be a priority. So in that space, I own Cheesecake Factory, Cracker Barrel, and Jack in the Box. What would you trim? Well, I mean, I I agree. A lot of times you hear about the restaurant indicator. It's a great indication of of, a pending recession. So... In that aspect, maybe you don't want to own any of the three, but Jacob, I think if you look at them, they're, they're kind of you're at different tiers, right? You have you have quick service at Jack in the Box, you have Cracker Barrel, which is not an expensive place, but more of a you know casual casual dining, and then you have Cheesecake Factory, which is a little pricier um, and probably the first to go if, if someone's going to trim their discretionary expenses. You're likely still going to eat one of these two over. Over uh, Cheesecake Factory. Yeah, and Cheesecake Factory also has the most expensive menu to right. produce. You know, it's like an encyclopedia. <laughs> it really is. And we talk, we joke about this. How can how can you possibly inven- keep all that inventory for all those different dishes? Right. Right. Financially, it just doesn't make sense to me. No, the way to do it's it is to be like Chick Fil A. It's just like we serve chicken. Yes. So, you can have chicken are one we, of four are, different ways. Are we almost out of chicken? All right, order more chicken. Um, and bread. But I, I guess to answer the question, so, um, yeah, Cheesecake Factory, all these are value approximately the same. They're all roughly 20 times earnings. Cracker Barrel's a tad less. I think Jack in the Box over the past five years has grown earnings about 20%. And they do have the franchise element, so they do have some franchise stores. Okay. Which there's going to be varying amounts of operating leverage relative to, you know, a traditional model and that they're just getting royalty payments sure. on that. So it, there might be a little more stability in that. Um, and then, like you said, Cracker Barrel's in between. So I guess if we're going to rank them in uh, order of sell first, what do you say? Cheesecake Cheesecake first, for sure. Then Cracker Barrel because yep. they do have the store. They do derive sales from the store. And, yeah. you know, folks traveling, a lot of their mm-hmm. business is done from folks traveling, vacationing, buying, you know, tchotchkes from yeah. the store um so that's going to be pretty discretionary as well so cheeseburgers i guess is the pick to keep if we're going to keep one yeah absolutely i would i would go with jack in the box as well so and again um you know you're trimming discretionary you don't have to be in the restaurant space i mean it's don't discount the fact that maybe you want to no. trade out of all three of these and get into something that's we try and position our discretionary holdings and when we think you know uh, the market looks looks risky and into more staple-like discretionary, if you will. They're not consumer staples. They're considered consumer discretionary, but they're things that people are going to continue to buy, um, you know, regardless of, of what's going on in the economy. All right, good answer there. So this one, uh, this next question, 
might draw us into the, the next segment, but uh, Carlos from Marietta says, I'm in the process of selling my business, and my lawyer keeps asking me if I'm selling assets or stock. Can you give me a rundown on differences? So this is a complicated question because the first thing I see in the question is your lawyers are asking you. If you're in the process of selling a business, exiting your business, what you want is you want to have a cohesive team that is all on the same page. Mm-hmm. You know, that this is going to be lawyers, accountants, uh, business advisors, financial planners. Um, and a host of other professionals, but everyone should be on the same page. It shouldn't be, oh, this individual's coming to this meeting or this one's going to that meeting. If that's the case, after that and progress is made towards the deal, there should be a conference call in which everyone is caught up to speed. So your lawyers shouldn't be in a situation where they're asking you, is this a stock sale or an asset sale, as they should be uh, advising you. But nonetheless, it's kind of complicated about whether or not you're going to structure an asset sale or a stock sale and that buyers and sellers benefit from opposing structures here. So generally speaking, a buyer is going to prefer an asset sale and a seller is going to prefer a stock sale. Now, every transaction is going to be unique. So definitely, as I said, talk to your uh, you know, appropriate professional before you move forward with the sale of your business. Um, but an asset sale is exactly as it sounds, the sale of individual assets and liabilities, whereas a stock sale is the purchase uh, or the sale of the owner's shares, shares of a corporation. So the biggest concerns in deciding what you should do are the tax implications and then down the road the potential liabilities that you expose yourself to. So if you operate a sole proprietorship or a partnership or an LLC, the transaction can't be structured as a technical stock sale because they don't have stock in this kind of business structure. So instead you can sell partnership or membership interest, which is basically the same thing. Um, but in an asset sale, the seller retains possession of the legal entity and the buyer purchases the individual assets of the company, such as its equipment or fixtures, licenses, inventory, trade secrets, things like that. Um, asset sales typically don't include cash, and the seller usually retains the long-term debt allocations. Now, working capital to, the, to a normalized number is going to be included. Um, that should be expected. But if you have excess cash, that sort of thing is not going to be included. So an asset sale is going to allow the buyer to step up the company's depreciable basis in the assets that depreciate quickly and allocate lower value on assets that amortize slowly to gain tax benefits. So Jesse, you can probably speak this a little more. Basically, what you're doing is you're enabling, enabling yourself to have higher cash flow in those earlier years Correct. of yeah. the business. Yeah, accelerate the depreciation, kind of keep income down. Um, with that, but since it's non-cash, I mean, it's not costing you anything to do that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also as the buyer, you're more likely to avoid potential liabilities uh, with an asset sale. From a seller's perspective, though, uh, the asset sale generate higher taxes because while intangible assets are taxed at capital gains rates, hard assets are taxed at income, your ordinary income. Correct. Um, so definitely tax is a consideration um, in, in this context. Additionally, an entity sold as a C-Corp can mean double taxation for the seller. So if you're operating a C-Corp, the corporations first can be taxed upon selling the assets to the buyer, and then the corporation's owners are taxed again when the proceeds pass through to them. Mm-hmm. So these are all you know real things you need to be concerned with because just because your business sells at X dollar does not mean – that that's what you're actually going to receive. So, well, we uh, wrapped up the last segment talking about, well, we didn't finish the the question, but it's about stock versus asset sales. We made it through the asset part. I know it's an exciting topic, um, but uh, we'll get to the stock part of it since it is uh, relevant. With a stock sale, the buyer purchases the selling shareholder stock directly, obtaining ownership in the seller's legal entity. Um, so basically with the stock sale, the buyers lose the ability to gain a step up in basis in the assets and don't get to redepreciate certain assets. They just carry the depreciated basis from the previous owner. 
Also, you're on the hook for future lawsuits, environmental concerns, OSHA violations, things like that. Um, these potential liabilities can uh, be mitigated if you have a stock purchase agreement in place. So, you know, every case is going to be different. Consult with a professional. Um, don't assume that, that you can figure this out on your own because uh, while I'm sure you run your business, you know, to the best it can be run, this isn't your bread and butter. And you're not used to selling your business more than likely. So um, having someone by your side to represent you is always a good idea. we got to take a quick break here, but uh, I, there is a few more topics to touch on here when we get back. You're listening to Money Talks. We'll be right back. Everything all at once. I am one of those melodramatic. All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.